All right, welcome to another edition of the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. My name is Randy Zelia. Emerito Rivera is on assignment this week. We desperately miss him. But this week, we still have a great show, even though Emma's not here, with Silas Young from Ring of Honor. The former ROH TV champion sits down and talks with me about everything Ring of Honor in his career. He talks about some of his beginnings back in 2002 when he broke into the business, discussed some of his training, discussed the responsibility of being an ROH champion, ROH TV champion back in 2018. We discussed a little bit of that first match. We discussed him being a fan of the Green Bay Packers. We jumped in and discussed a couple different things. I don't think you want to hear me continuously ramble on. Let's go to Silas Young. Back here on the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast with me now, Ring of Honor. I'm going to say superstar because in our eyes, he's a superstar. And he also recently got a friend request from The Undertaker himself, (laughs) (laughs) Silas Young. Silas, what's up, brother? How are you today, man? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I I couldn't leave that out, man. I saw that you posted that on social media, and I was just like, dude, dude got a friend request from The Undertaker. That doesn't happen too often. Yeah, well, you know, it's like... uh... I mean, I think any male that's on Facebook, you know, you'll get these friend requests from super attractive women. And then you click on the profile and obviously, you know, it's a fake profile. So it was the first time I got, um, <laughs> I don't know, a, a friend request from like a fake uh, wrestling YouTube, you know, or wrestling Facebook account. It was just weird. So it was funny, though. It was, you're like, all right, cool, Undertaker, man. All right, mm-hmm. and, and and you've known you, know, you you had some you know experiences with Taker because you were with WWE for a little bit on and off. Um, what was your interaction? Obviously, if you're getting friend requests from him, you guys have a little bit of a bond there, right? No, no, I totally think it was a fake account. It was oh. it's an real account. I mean, uh, I the little bit of stuff I did with uh, WWE was for like a half a cup of coffee, so yeah. it wasn't very much at all. Well, it's funny, you know, you mentioned that it was more of a cup of coffee. You spent a a good portion of your career with Ring of Honor. Uh, What made Ring of Honor so attractive to you? Because a lot of talent, especially, you know, you started in in 02. Uh, In 02, there wasn't as many options as there is now, but Ring of Honor seems to have been like your home for a while. Um, So, you know, I started wrestling in 2002, worked the independents for a long time, uh, and then in, I think maybe 2007, I got an opportunity to work for ring of honor and did a, a handful of shows. And that was at the time when Gabe Sapolsky was, was the booker. And, um, from what I remember, uh, I was going to be getting booked more regularly, but then Gabe lost his spot and there was a transition to, I think when, um, Adam Pierce took over booking and then, uh, I think maybe a couple years later when Pierce was booking, I was doing a bunch of TV stuff, but not really being used on the house shows or anything. Uh, then started doing some stuff for Dragon Gate. So then I really kind of started with Ring of Honor in 2013. I did the top prospect tournament and then basically started full time with them that June. Uh, I think a big part of what I like about it is uh, the creative freedom. Uh, you know, when, when you work there for a while and you, you know, you can prove that you can put in good work or that you have good ideas and your ideas aren't just all about yourself, but, you know, help the company and help the bigger picture. Uh, I think it allows you to maybe get more creative freedom. Uh, so that's a big part of it for me. The schedule is amazing. You know, uh, 
it's not so great right now. You know, I know a lot of people probably enjoy the time off and not working. And I did for the first, you know, month or two of, of how things have been the last year and a half. But, um, you know, I'm looking to get back to somewhat of a regular schedule, but even our regular schedules are, you know, only a couple weekends a month. So it gives you a lot of time at home. You know, I have a 12 year old son. So, you know, I like being home and being able to spend time with him. Uh, and it's funny too, you know, you, when we when you first segued in there, you said it started in 2002, and and to where you are now. Obviously, you have had a lot of life changing uh, situations go on, and you said you're you're you know, there's nothing more important to you than being a dad, being able to spend time. How how is how difficult is it for a wrestler's life when we're on normal schedule to be able to balance home life and balance the, the road? Uh, you know, I think for you know, especially guys who work for like WWE. I mean, it's like for them, it's probably been great the last year and a half, you know, because everything's being taped in uh, Orlando or Tampa or wherever it is. It's all basically where they live. So, uh, you know, they're probably really enjoying that. But typically they're gone a lot. And I think that's really hard. And I, that's, you know, a big, a big plus uh, for, you know, working for Ring of Honor. Our schedule isn't so heavy. So, and, and you know, as well as other things like, you know, the company really takes care of the guys. They were doing like through these last, uh, how many ever handful of tapings since last August, uh, have been really precautionary with taking COVID tests uh, a week before you even leave and then getting in and having to quarantine and take a COVID test the next day and then take a COVID test the next day, all like quarantining. And then, uh, you know, only going to do tapings a couple people at a time in separate locker rooms and all that. You know, they really, they really looked out for the talent, um, and everybody that was working the shows, the crew, everything. So you know, having that that schedule uh, and having a company that kind of takes those extra steps and makes you want to, you know, makes you want to be at a place like that. For I got, I've been asking a lot of uh, people we've interviewed this type of question, for, especially with the pandemic. What has the pandemic done for you as a wrestler that made it sort of change the way you present not only yourself, but the way the company presents the product? Uh, you know, I think for how the company presents the product, I think it's really cool uh, that we're doing something different. We got those really big screens that are up close, so it doesn't feel like you're wrestling in just some empty, empty arena. Um, they're not doing anything with, like, having faces on screens. I kind of like that they're doing something different. I think it's all made us uh, slow down a little bit, which is always good. You know, in wrestling, sometimes things can be a little too fast and the crowd doesn't get the chance to uh, absorb it and digest it and react to it, you know? Uh, so I think I think that's been good. Um, I think it's made guys realize that they have to really find a character or define that character or evolve a character. Because, you know, a lot of wrestling, uh, is kind of just guys with a first name and a last name and they're just really really good wrestlers but when you don't have this opportunity to showcase your your strong points or your your uh your talents uh, in the ring you gotta find a way to display that you know through social media videos or skits or whatever uh you're going to do um i know for myself uh you know for years i just wrestled as silas young i was just a guy with long hair and a beard i was a good wrestler you know people respected my work, I guess. Um, so then when I, I went to Ring of Honor in 2013, shortly before that, I started dabbling with the Last Real Man thing. You know, Last Real Man is a, uh, like my father, basically. Um, 
he had he had slick back hair and a mustache. My dad was a badass, and uh, it's just kind of like a nod to men of the past. But my point is like. Uh, I realized that going into Ring of Honor, like all these guys here are really good wrestlers. I need to do something to stand out. So that's when I really kind of, you know, went into high gear on the last real man thing and really started embracing it more and more. So I think in the last year, it's made guys realize they need to develop more character or show the people who they are. Was it difficult for you not to have the fans in the arena? Yeah, I mean, I think it is for everybody. It sucks, man. Like, I think if one thing... Uh, guys will learn it's uh, how important fans are i mean it's not that we didn't know that but just it's it's hard to get hype for a match and go out there and wrestle hard when you're getting no reaction especially when you've been doing it for years and years and years and you're so used to feeding off that crowd's energy and you're so used to almost pacing your match to the crowd's energy as well where did you come up with the cigarette after the match uh gimmick <laughs> type, of, type of routine i i shouldn't have said gimmick i'm sorry more of like the routine there uh you know what i mean i as you can see i'm a smoker uh i don't know i think i i think it kind of just started out as a joke and then evolved from there you know a lot of things in wrestling uh like i think sometimes fans think that like people like sit down like in a boardroom and they're like all right well what are we going to do with this character now what's a story we can do or something funny like that's not how most wrestling stuff happens. Most wrestling stuff just happens when people are shooting the breeze, you know, uh, coming up, like saying like, Hey man, I was thinking about this thing that would be funny if you do. And then, then maybe they'll be like, Oh shit. What if I did it like this or this? And so, so a lot of wrestling stuff just kind of happens organically or comes out of just someone making a joke or something like that. Well, that it's, I, I, it caught my eye the last couple matches I watched with you. I was like, oh, cool. Well, well check it out. He's smoking a cigarette. Like, is that supposed to be? Okay, it's supposed to be on camera. All right. Okay. Um, let's go back to the time machine for a minute. Let's uh, let's talk about your training. You trained with Chris Bassett, Mike Mercury, uh, Angel. I'm going to butcher the last name, and I apologize, Armani. Um, what do you remember about your training, and what was the experience like the first time you sort of took a bump? And what, what was the general training like for you? Okay, so I feel like I kind of had, like, you named all three of the guys, and you named them in the perfect order, too. So I started out with Chris Bassett. Um, Chris Bassett, so I grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin. It's, like, maybe 20 minutes south of Green Bay. So I originally I had started going to indie shows, and I really wanted to become a wrestler, and I was going to uh, Mike Mercury shows. And they were really good, and they had a number that you could call for the dojo. And I called a bunch of times and left messages, never heard anything back. Uh, then I saw at a show like the next month they were going to have like, uh, I guess almost like a fantasy camp thing for like 50 bucks. You can train for the day and see if it's something you want to do. So I was like, yeah, I'm all about it. So I had, uh, went and did that training thing and, you know, I took bumps and stuff like that. Uh, I kind of did okay with it. I was a gymnast when I was younger, but it definitely beat me up. Like I remember, after that day, my brother had taken me there and picked me up, and he's like, how'd it go? And I was like, oh, man, I don't know, man. They beat me up pretty bad. I don't know if I can do this. And he was like, don't be a pussy. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so my plan was then was to train at, at that place. Uh, but the next week, I had ran into a buddy who I went to high school with who had already trained to be a wrestler and was currently wrestling. And I told him, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train. He's like, well why don't you just, why don't you come train where I train at? It's here, it's here like 10 minutes from where we live. Uh, and we do it every Sunday. And that was Chris Bassett. So when I went there the first time, uh, he didn't even have a ring yet. So it was still kind of cold out. 
but they had a bumping platform in the garage. Oh God. But it was, it was actually, it was, it was fairly safe and well put together. Well, not well put together. It was like made out of like plywood and like some car tires, but it worked fine. Uh, and, and, and that training was, uh, that training was okay. So Chris Bassett was like a jobber guy back in the eighties for like AWA and WWF. But, uh, and he taught, taught, you know, the super, super basics, like lockups, grab an arm, grab a head, put on a hammer lock, bumps, you know, body slams, hip tosses. But I never learned any psychology there. There was no like, uh, how to put a match together. You know, I mean, a match, a wrestling match is like a TV show or a movie of, uh, you know, you have these certain patterns that puts together a good match. So you need to learn how to do that. Right. Uh, but I didn't learn any of that. So I had, uh, trained with him for about a year, got booked, uh, a few times. And then in my fourth match, I dislocated my elbow and that required surgery. And I remember, uh, like a couple months I was kind of hung up by that point. I had met a few people in wrestling and got hooked up with Mike Mercury. And I just kind of remember thinking like, man, like, uh, the guys in Green Bay, like their matches are way better than the place that I'm working at. Like, I feel like maybe there's something I don't know yet that I need to learn. So then I decided like when I was better, I contacted that guy and Mike Mercury and I went up and he had a kid that was training and was just getting to the point of starting to work matches, which is kind of where I was at. So for a couple of months, we would train a couple of times a week and, you know, do practice matches and just basically learn how to put stuff together. Uh, and then uh, for probably a good year after that, I would travel with Mike because he did a lot of ring rentals. So I'd travel with him, help him set up the ring, and then he'd get me booked on the show. And through, you know, through doing that, I met Angel Armani. And uh, Angel's like, at this point, he's like 60-some years old. Like, I didn't start, he trained to wrestle at 37. Uh, uh-huh. But he's he's really, really good. He, he knows how to control a crowd. Uh, he... Like, I mean, for a while, me and him probably wrestled each other, like, I don't know, a hundred or more times over a couple of years span where we would get big experience for me. And the funny thing was, I think he was like 50 years old at the time, maybe late forties, early fifties. And we were going out there and we were having these ridiculously good matches. Like we had a couple of matches where we went like 40, 50 minutes, two out of three falls. Uh, and I definitely, I definitely learned a lot from, uh, from Angel and I, that he'd really look at him as like my uh i guess like my my trainer or my my sensei so to speak your your yoda yeah exactly um <laughs> exactly. uh, so let me ask you a question what do you remember back about the 25-man battle royale at nfw's first stake event which was your first match what do you remember about it Oh my God! You found that, huh? Was it like was it like in a crowd with nobody there? <laughs> uh, I listen. I like I said. I do research. We do research, and we uh, we we were able to um, sort of look up because I think one of the one of the websites lists everybody's matches, and I we saw that your first one was the the battle royal. So how was that? A little intimidating, or was that, did you feel a little bit more comfortable knowing that it was a twenty five man battle royal in that sense? Um, I man, honestly, I can't really even remember what i thought at the time but i mean i i assume i was probably like fairly like happy like happier that it wasn't a match match and that a battle royal knowing that they're a little bit easier uh but i was probably still you know scared out of my mind (laughs) 
Um, what was it like for you to wrestle some of the great high flyers in wrestling, like some great some of the great technical wrestlers as well, like Jushin Liger and Jerry Lynn? What was it like working with guys who sort of had that equity in the business like they did? Uh, man, it, it was amazing. You know, when I first started wrestling, like, you know, obviously I wanted to be able to make a living at it, but my really my goal, goal was just to – you know, be booked every weekend or try and work as much as possible. So then when I started getting opportunities to work with guys like that, it was amazing. You learn so much from uh, from guys that are better than you. I think that's like a, a big thing a lot of guys can learn is that as an independent wrestler, you should try and get booked, you know, as many different places as possible. And when doing that, you should try and get good quality opponents, people you can learn from. So that's really the only way you get better. So being able to wrestle guys like that was like, you know, really cool. I watched those guys as a kid or as a fan growing up. So it was, uh, it was a great experience. You know, it's a little intimidating, but, uh, you know, I got the opportunity to work with uh, Jerry Lynn quite a few times and it was, it was always such a good time. Uh, and I obviously was like we said before about Jushin Thunder Liger just being a total legend in this business, you know, right. just, just retiring. I was that you said that was a little overwhelming for you. Um, what about, in a situation like in Ring of Honor in 2018, when you become the TV champion, you know they put enough enough trust in you, and they they felt they can build build a certain about a certain part of the program around you and your talents. How did that make you feel, knowing that they can put that much trust in you like that? That I mean, that's awesome. You know, I've been like I've been a champion or whatever for other companies, for independent companies, but I feel like when you finally get a championship for you know a, a, a world recognized company, a company that. Uh, can pay you to make a living. I feel like that's a huge step in anyone's career because it, like you said, it's the company saying, Hey, we believe in you. Uh, so it's that de it's definitely like a big uh, boost for the ego and how, uh, how you feel about your work and makes you more confident when you're more confident what you're doing, you're just going to be better at it, especially in a business like wrestling. Did you feel that there was any added pressure because they uh, gave you the TV championship? Uh, I mean, I think so. I, I, you know, you have to embrace that pressure, though. You know, if you don't feel the pressure, maybe, maybe it's not the right fit for you then, because you really should, uh, you know, want to take any championship you have and try and elevate it. So, like we were discussing earlier about your length of time in Ring of Honor, and like you said before, you did have a couple tryout matches with WWE. What was it like for you stepping behind the scenes of that? I guess they call it the machine. Seeing on how that machine was run, and was it intimidating at all? Did you find it to be a little overwhelming? Uh, I mean, not overwhelming, but I mean, it's definitely intimidating. You know, they're uh, they're the top of the mountain, so you know, being being able there being being able to be there and being able to work in front of, you know, live crowds of like 15, 20,000 people. That's a, uh, that's pretty amazing. But honestly, once you get in the ring and you start wrestling, that kind of all goes away and you're just into what you're doing. But yeah, I mean, it was a great experience. I'm happy that I, I got those experiences and, you know, it, I, I feel like it probably helped lead me to where I am today. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely an intimidating thing. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, recently you, you tagged with Josh Woods, uh, apparently something didn't work out or something didn't sit right with you. And now uh, this upcoming week on ROH TV, uh, you're going to be across the ring from him. What happened with the relationship with Josh Woods and why did it deteriorate the way it did? Well, you know, as far as I see it, you know, I, I really, uh, I was the unselfish one in this situation. I put, I put my singles career on hold to help mentor him, to help teach him about wrestling in and out of the ring. 
And uh, then I was gone for a couple months and I come back and I'm trying to get the tag team going back again. And I just felt like he disrespected me after everything that I did. So after he didn't listen to me for the umpteenth time, I hit him with a chair. And then we had a match a couple weeks ago on Ring of Honor TV and I beat him. So coming up here, I believe this weekend, we're having a peer rules match. What is it like to be sort of the one of the elder men? Not only say one of the elder leaders of the of the locker room, but have some of these younger guys come in. Um, do they come in and pick your brain? Did, is it something that you always say? Listen, if you have any questions or you know anything I can help with, let me know. Do, do they come and ask you for advice? You know what? I think that's the cool thing about the locker room. There, it's not just the younger guys. Everybody, everybody bounces things off of everybody. It's always good to. Uh, get someone else's perspective. You know, I think there's definitely guys in the locker room that people respect and will will come and ask about things. But I, I think just in general, that's uh, the locker room culture. I real, real quick, let's uh, let's plug your social media. I actually have it all set for you. Look at this. This you'll, you'll, I know you'll be happy to see that we're boom. Look at that. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> nice. Did I? Yeah, I know you're on Twitter and I know you're on Facebook. Are we, are we Instagramming or are we not? Oh yeah, that? I'm on. I'm on Instagram too at Last Real Man ROH. Okay, awesome. And uh, real quick, I guess my last qu- well, my last two questions is, you know, what your passion for professional wrestling was? There any particular match or any particular wrestler you watched growing up that said, "I oh, man, I really want to do this." Um. I don't not, not necessarily any one match, but you know, I grew up with five older brothers, so I remember like wrestling's one of my earliest memories is watching wrestling in the living room, like in diapers. So I just feel like my my whole life uh, wrestling's been around, and uh, you know, when it when it came to the time to become a wrestler, it was it kind of came out of nowhere to be honest. But uh, you know, I, I had watched wrestling my whole life, so I think it's just one of those lifetime things, you know. Uh, and was there any particular wrestler that you uh, that you admired when you were growing up that you're like, man, that's cool, and that's something that I want I want to do? Oh yeah, definitely Hulk Hogan, man. Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I mean, it was in the '80s and '90s, kids. And I, I liked Hulk Hogan. I really liked the Rockers. Um, I liked uh, I liked British Bulldog. Um, yeah, I mean, I liked. I, I was like a good little fan. I liked all the baby faces, so. <laughs> was it me or back in that 89 90 range was is demolition one of the most over under i would say underrated tag teams to ever be champions oh dude they were amazing man yeah they were amazing like it, uh, just watching them do the double team and just i think the presentation of the face painting like the rockers were good because they were able to the rockers and the heart foundation best work rate at that point in the ring right. as far as characters and a team that made you believe that they can beat you at any time was demolition. Right. I think, I mean, I think that was a great thing about tag team wrestling back then. Like tag teams were tag teams and they were like tag teams for years, you know, now guys just kind of get put together and we'll do like a six month thing. But back then, like tag team wrestling was great. And I feel like they did a good job of the booking at the time where, it felt like almost all those teams were tag team champions at, at one point or another, or definitely believable that they could win. You know, I mean, they had they had the Heart Foundation, they had the Rockers, they had Demolition, they had Powers of Pain, they had the Rougeau Brothers, the Brainbusters, the Brainbusters. So many good tag teams. Yeah. 
And then even in the NWA, they had the the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express. You know, they had they, they, that was just a different age of tag team wrestling. It was just yeah. it was such a beautiful thing. And, and also, you listen, you're being a Wisconsin guy, and I'm pretty sure if I had to guess, you were a Green Bay Packer fan. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, okay. so I'm I cover I cover the Giants out here in New York, but I gotta ask. Is Aaron Rodgers coming back? What's what's going on? Your your opinion as a fan, I gotta ask. Mm, I think he's definitely coming back. I think uh I think we just live in the day and age where people need to piss and moan on social media about something. And it's just part of the culture nowadays. Like and uh I mean he's been around for what, like I don't know, fifteen years or something like that, right? Maybe yeah. 13, 15 years. And I guess he's mad because they drafted another quarterback last year. But I mean, that's what that's what football has to do. It's a business, you know. So yeah, it's a cycle. And if you, if you remember correctly, that's the same thing that happened to Brett Favre. You know, Brett exact, Favre. The exact same thing. Exact same thing. So Silas, listen, I appreciate you giving me a few minutes. I'm glad we were able to uh, talk today. I hope you had fun. And again, we we appreciate you coming on uh, the, the Cup Pro Wrestling Podcast. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime, happy to do it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, that was Silas Young here on the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. A lot to unpack there. He did a lot of interesting things throughout his career, starting in 2002, discussing his training, discussed why he was smoking at the end of the uh, at the end of his matches. I was, I was like, wow, floored a little bit. Uh, discussed the elevation of his gimmick, and also discussed what he's doing right now on Ring of Honor Television with uh, Josh Woods. They have a match this upcoming weekend. Check it out. Check your local listings for Ring of Honor programming special thank you to andrew fumi who makes us look as good as we do every single week emma reed Rivera will be back next week for next week's show we have some great indie talent coming up again let's follow the show here cut pro wrestling podcast on instagram the cut pw podcast on instagram we're on twitter cut wrestling bsp and we're on facebook cut pro wrestling podcast and guys you can download us give us a five-star review show us some love on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, of course, back sports page. Show us some love. We really appreciate you guys tuning in every single week to the great interviews that we uh, put out here for you. We do it for you guys. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to download us. And again, special thank you to our producer, Andrew Fumi. Special thanks to Mark over at Ring of Honor for setting this interview up. And until next time, I'm Randy Zellia from backsportspage.com, and this was the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast.